Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching a special Christmas message, so grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. One thing when I'm teaching the book of Revelation I like to clear up is that you want to notice, go back to verse 1 to the beginning of the book. You want to notice at the beginning of the book, it says the revelation of Jesus Christ. Notice it does not say the revelations with an S. It says the revelation singular. Um, it kind of drives me bananas actually, but I, do you ever just, some things just drive me bananas. Well, this is one of the things that kind of drive me kind of bananas when I hear somebody say, oh, the book of Revelations. It's not the book of Revelations. It's the book of Revelation. This book is a book of revelation or of unveiling, are you listening? or of revealing or presenting one person, Jesus Christ. Now, within this book, there are, John has several revelations about various things that are happening throughout the course of time, but all of those revelations are pointing back to the uh, Jesus Christ, the, what, the purpose of the book, to unveil, to uncover the one person, Jesus Christ. It isn't revelations. The book is about the revelation of Jesus Christ. And there are some people who study this book to understand prophecy. Listen, if you study this book to understand prophecy, you're studying this book for the wrong reason. The point of the book of Revelation isn't to enlighten you in prophecy. The point of the book of Revelation is for you to have an encounter with Jesus personally. This book is intended to give you a deeper understanding of his glory and greatness and to cause you to have a greater intimacy with him personally. Now, the time of the book. The time of the book is written around A.D. 95-96. The first century church was under extreme and heavy persecution. In the summer of 68 A.D., Caesar Nero committed suicide, and several years later, a gentleman by the name of Titus Flavius Domitian became the Roman emperor. Historians tell us that Caesar Nero was an insane devil. Historians also tell us that Domitian was a sane devil. Domitian was so cold-blooded, he was a cold-blooded murderer. He demanded to be worshipped as God and demanded to, to be addressed as our Lord God Domitian. Well, the Christians refused to worship him as God because the Christians understood that there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. And Christians understood that we should worship one God. There is only one God. Christians understood that. So they refused to worship Domitian as God. 
And because they refused to worship Domitian as God, he had them thrown into the lion's den, the fox's book of martyrs. You might want to pick it up in the bookstore. He had them thrown in the lion's den, burned at the stake, wrapped in animal skins and fed to the dogs. He would dip them in hot wax and light them on fire and place them in his imperial gardens. He would crucify mothers and drape babies around their necks. He was sick. And he wiped millions of our brothers and sisters off the face of the earth. So then Domitian decided to go after the leaders of the church. John, are you listening? John John is the last living apostle. John is 100 years old. Domitian has his henchmen find John and bring him to trial. And they sentence him to death. And they try to boil him in hot boiling oil, but John didn't die. When Domitian heard that John didn't die, he banished him to the rocky, barren island of where? Very good. 50 miles away from the city of Ephesus, 10 miles long, five miles wide. This is where people would do hard labor. It was the first century Alcatraz. It was there in the seemingly God-forsaken, rocky, barren island that John received the revelation of Jesus Christ. Notice in verse 3 again. I want you to look at verse 3. Go ahead and look at it. Blessed is he who reads. Y'all, y'all come on and read it with me again. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. Now look at me. Give me your attention. Raise your hand if you want to be blessed. All right, some of y'all didn't raise your hand now. Did you hear what I said? Y'all need coffee? All right, let me try it again. Raise your hand if you want to be blessed. There you go, that looks a whole lot better. If you want to be blessed, somebody had their hand up like this. Oh, you want a double blessing, right? Uh, I said, you want it all, huh? Me too, I want it all, okay? If you want to be blessed, according to the Bible, according to Scripture, The Bible says, if you want to be blessed, read this book. Verse 3 tells us you'll get a blessing just by sitting down reading the book. Praise God it doesn't say, blessed is he who reads and understands. (laughs) Say amen. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) It says, if you just read it. There's no other book in the Bible that says, if you just sit down and read this book, you're going to get blessed. Isn't that contrary to what the world says? The world says don't read the book of Revelation because it's spooky. Somebody ever tell you that? Ooh, the book of Revelation, ooh, spooky, ooh, spooky, ooh, spooky. Don't read the book of Revelation. Or they say, ooh, don't open that book because if you open the book, like Raiders of the Lost Ark, a light's going to come out and like burn up your head and your eyeballs are going to burn out your head and don't open that book. You know, people think that. There's nothing spooky about this book. As a matter of fact, the Bible says if you read this book, you are going to be blessed. Actually, the light of Jesus will come and shine in your heart, and you'll get a blessing if you read this book. I want you to clap your hands and say amen. Will you do that? Now, five things, listen, let's move forward. Five things from the book of Revelation about Jesus. And listen, time doesn't permit me to go into detail 
the detail that we could. So we're going to just pick up a few things and, and move forward, okay? First of all, his person. Look at uh, Revelation chapter 1 in verse 5. Look at his person. And, and the first thing verse 5 tells us about his person is that Jesus Christ is the what? Faithful witness. Who is the babe born in Bethlehem? He's the faithful witness. In other words, what Jesus says is true. You can count on it. Somebody needs to say amen. And in this confusing and mixed up world, in this world where people break promises and vows with no thought, in this world, in this country where it is easier to get a divorce than it is to adopt a child, that is mixed up value. There's so many philosophies and different ideas in this world and values and thinking. It's good to know that the word of Jesus can be counted on because he is the faithful witness. Am I right about it? He's a faithful witness. And I think of Psalm 89 is written all about the faithful witness. And you can read it in your own time, but I'll just read you two verses. In Psalm 89, verses 1 and 2, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you shall establish in the very heavens. The word faithful, if you're taking notes, you write this down, means reliable trustworthy, always speaking the truth. Jesus didn't come into the world to learn truth, but to deliver truth. Did you hear me? He didn't come into the world to learn truth. He came in the world to deliver truth. He's not the baby who must be taught. He's the son of God who speaks truth. John 18, 37, write it down. Jesus said to Pilate, for this cause I was born and for this cause I came into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Jesus came into the world on Christmas morn to speak truth. Well, notice also about his person in verse 5, he's called the firstborn from the dead. Now, you might think if you've been with us in John, you might think Lazarus is the firstborn from the dead. Well, Lazarus died for four days, remember? But Lazarus will die again. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead, never to die again. Jesus is the first begotten of the dead in the resurrected, glorified body. So this is not just a born baby, but also a resurrected God-man. Look at verse 5 again, talking about his person. He is the ruler over the kings of the earth. That means every king, every man who ever walked the face of the earth will bow the knee to King Jesus. Did y'all hear me? Every king, every ruler, every queen, every potentate will bow their knee to King Jesus. Jesus pulls rank over everybody. Are you glad about it? He pulls rank over everybody. Daniel chapter 4, verse 37 tells us he's called the king of heaven. Matthew 2, 2, he's called the king of the Jews. John 1, 49, he is the king of Israel. First. Timothy 1, 17, he's called the king of the ages. Psalm 24, 7, he's the king of glory. Revelation 15, 3, he's the king of the saints. Revelation 19 sums it up. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The babe born in Bethlehem is no helpless infant. He's the sovereign ruler of the universe. And look at verse 5 again, again, talking about his person. To him who loved us. 
and washed us. Are y'all looking at verse 5? To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own what? Blood. He loved us where? At Calvary's cross, right in your margins. He washed us with the only detergent that gets sent out. His blood. Not tied. Amen. Not bounce. Not Clorox. His blood is the only detergent that gets sent out. Think about that. Red blood washes whiter than snow. Isaiah said, though your sin be as red as crimson, I shall wash you whiter than snow. The only detergent that gets sin out is his blood. He didn't whitewash or cover up our sins. He cleansed us from the deep stain of sin by shedding his blood to pay the price and freed us and broke the chains that held us. And now we can stand before Jesus Christ clean and free from the stain of sin. And he made us in verse six, kings and priests unto God. The prince of preachers, C.A. Spurgeon, you know, I love him. He said this, if there was any way to wash us from our sins, God would have done it that other way. To wash us in his own blood meant the ultimate sacrifice of God the Son. It would not have been done unless it was the only way. The priest could only cleanse with blood of bulls and goats, but he, Jesus, has washed us from our sins in his own blood. Men are willing enough to shed the blood of others. How readily they will enter upon war, but Christ was willing to shed his own blood to pour out his soul unto death that we might be saved. Oh, don't you like that? I love that. I love that. And look at verse 8. Look at verse 8 in Revelation chapter 1, verse 8. We're talking about his person. He is the Alpha and what? The Omega. Now, this is probably one of the most intriguing verses in the Bible because it is as if God signed the letter with his own name. It seems autographed by the author. I am the Alpha and Omega. It's like God took a pen while giving the revelation to John, and he signed it. Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet. And Jesus is saying, I am the totality. I am complete. I am everything. I am the eternal God. Before there was anything, I am. Eternity belongs to him. He is the A to Z and everything in between. In verse 8, I am the one who is and who was and who is to come. And this is not just any baby. Are y'all getting that? This baby is absolute righteousness. This baby doesn't need to be taught truth. This baby is truth personified. This is more than a baby in a manger. This is God. Well, point number two, not only his person, but also his preeminence. Uh, Go with me to Revelation chapter five and verse five. Look at verse five. Revelation five, verse five. But one of the elders said to me in verse 5, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. Okay, so let's get the scene here. Look at me, please. The church, prior chapter 5. The church has been raptured and we are in heaven with God. God is on the throne. The tribulation is going to begin in the very next chapter, in chapter 6. Right now, here in chapter 5, God is holding 
in his hand the title deed to the earth, a scroll. God the Father is waiting for the rightful heir, God the Son, to take the scroll and break the seal. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Look at verse 2. And the angel said, who is worthy to open up the scroll? Verse 4, John wept because no one was worthy. Then one of the elders said, don't weep. The line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed and is worthy to open the scroll. In other words, there is one, a preeminent one, a one above all others, one who can take back the earth, one who has the power to do it, Jesus Christ. And notice John gives three unique titles to the preeminent one. Notice the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, and the lamb in verse 6, the line of the tribe of Judah is a messianic title from Genesis chapter 49. The root of David comes from Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10, and is repeated in Revelation 22, verse 16. The root of David means he not only comes from David, but he is the root for David. That means that David actually comes from him. Did you get that? Did you get it? He's not only coming from David, but he is a root for David. And that means that David actually comes from him. Now, in the Christmas scene, we see baby Jesus with gentle animals around. Well, here in Revelation, it looks more like lions and some men around. Here in Revelation, we see an apocalyptic Christ. Verse 6, among the elders was a lamb. It wasn't a lion, but a lamb. The lamb stood as though it had been slain. The word slain, write it down. And the Greek means violently slain and bleeding. He was a lamb, but he also has the power because he is a lion. His person, number one. His preeminence, number two. And number three, his praise. Look at verse eight. Look at verse eight. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. When Jesus steps forward and takes the scroll, notice the response is immediate. What's the response? The elders fall down and worship and sing a song of redemption. John sees elders falling down before the lamb and everybody has a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which represents the prayers of the saints. And in verse nine, look at it. They sang a new song. They worshiped the lamb. Now question, look at me, give me your attention. Question, how important is worship to you? How important is worship to you? I mean, really ask yourself that. How important is it to you? I mean, some people view worship like, this is important at all. And some view worship like Christian warm-up before the sermon. Like when you work out, you warm up in calisthenics, and then you work out. Well, some people view worship the same way. It's like warm-up before the sermon. And some people view worship like preparatory before the sermon. And I agree, it is preparatory, but not just preparatory. And some view worship as time filler. Enough time to park the car, get some water. Go to the bathroom, eat some gum, talk to some people, 
do some stuff, you know, just time filler. And some people view worship as a ritual. It's just what we do in church. It's in the before church starts manual. We're supposed to sing some songs. It's supposed to be that way. Some people view worship that way, and some view worship as a waste of time, and they just don't get it. I read this story about this woman who was in church, and she's standing with her eyes closed and her hands are lifted in prayer and praise and worshiping the Lord. And in the seat in front of her was this three-year-old boy who looked at her with her hands lifted up high in the air, and he gave her a high five. He didn't get it. And some people, they just don't get it. Listen, worship is important. More than two people need to say amen there. Worship is important. And the reason worship is important because, and that's why I always encourage you guys, you know I do, to get you here on time. And some people, I'm not going to ask you to stand up, but you get here just before I preach because you want to skip the worship. Now, I ain't going to ask you to stand up. But you know, I'm going to skip the worship. Oh, I got time. I got an extra 30 minutes before Pastor Roddy start preaching. Worship is important because worship is a hammer to the heart. Worship breaks up that hard heart. See, everybody has a hard heart. I mean, you come to church, and I don't mean hard like and hard toward the Lord, but, you know, you've been in, in the world, and you've been working, and you're trying to get to church, and the kids were acting crazy before you got here, and, you know, you were uh, slapping them in the back seat. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I mean, you know what I mean? You're driving. You're like, you better shut up. You better sh- shut your mouth. We're going to church. I said, shut up. When you get out of this car, you better say, praise the Lord. <laughs> and you just got all this stuff in your head and you're working and your heart is like, ah, and you get to church and you, you know, it's like, ah. And worship causes all that to come down. And you start hearing songs, you are stronger, you are strong. I'm waiting for somebody to clap their hands and say amen. You are stronger. You are stronger, sin is broken, you have saved me, it's written, Christ is risen, Jesus, you are Lord of all. When you start singing that, and those words start sinking into your heart, into your spirit, your heart starts to break and, and starts to get soft. So then when, when, when the teaching of the word of God, the seed of the word is thrown, the Holy Spirit takes the seed and deposits it in your heart, and it finds its way into good ground. And then the it's water... I'm waiting. And then it's watered by the Holy Spirit to bring forth fruit. I can tell. That's why worship here at Calvary Chapel, if you're new here, listen up. Worship is important to this church because I can tell when I get to this pulpit, I can tell. I can, it's a spiritual palpating pulse. I'm working here. <laughs> I can feel it whether people have been worshiping or not. I can feel it. Or sometimes when a song is being played, and Pastor Matt, you know what I'm talking about. You can feel it. Are people just singing the songs? 
Or are they really connected and worshiping and allowing those words to really touch their heart and break up the heart, the fallow ground of the heart so that the seed of the word of God can be planted? And if that's not happening, something needs to change. Either we stop, we don't, we stop that song, let's go on to the next one, or y'all need to stand up because y'all got too much trip to fan in your stomach, or something is wrong. But we need to fix it. Because we've come here to worship the Lord. We didn't come here to look at the words and just mumble the words. That does not please God. That does not please the Lord. Listen to me. God is not blessed because you showed up and mumble the words and and God goes, oh, yes, that's great. You're disconnected, but at least you're here mumbling the words. And by golly, you really bless God. You think? I don't. I know it doesn't bless God for you to just mumble the words. He wants your heart to be connected. He wants you to worship him in spirit and in truth. That's what he's looking for. People who are willing to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. Notice in the Bible, when the elders saw the lamb, they broke out in worship. When you see Jesus and you really do see Jesus, you will worship. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.